2: Sex was a currency in my life that I'd always known, and I knew that it would work. And I found myself actually sleeping with a lot of guys that I look back on, and I remember feeling very strongly that I did not want to, but I did not have the language to express that.
0: Just cause you left, your mind didn't leave it yet. It's gonna take you years for your mind to finally separate yourself from it. It's Violet Benson, your favorite meme queen and the big set you didn't ask for, but need welcome. Almost adulting. Almost, adulting. almost adulting are you ready hey besties and welcome to a brand new almost adulting episode with me your host your best friend your lover <laughs> and your did i say sister your big sister yeah violet benson this month we are doing it a little bit different Since every month I promise you a new topic, this month I decided to go all out and do cult month because it is perfect as part of Halloween month. I basically did a deep dive into all the various cults you guys begged me To discuss. And I chose the top four most interesting cults. It was also based on your votes and how many of you really wanted me to reach out to these people. Before we get into this, I do wanna say happy October because things are definitely about to get a little spooky around here. These episodes are iconic. I'm not gonna lie, I'm very proud of all of them. I'm very excited for this month and I think you will be as well. From the Tuesday episodes to the Thursday episodes, it's gonna be so good. So yeah, this month we are focusing entirely on cults. It's something we've never done in almost adulting All my previous podcasts, Too Tired To Be Crazy. But being the best podcaster in the world, <laughs> I am putting myself out there and I'm giving you gold. I'm constantly working towards being the best and trying new things. So I would love to try this out with you guys. So we're taking a little break from dating and relationships for the most part. And we're diving into cults. And next month, uh it's another month of something else, which I'm not going to tell you now. So this month, you will be hearing from experts, current and former members of various cults around the world. We will do a deep dive into the ins and outs of these organizations, their secrets, things you've never heard about before, because I will have the inside scoop with these members that I found from all over the world. So get ready. Before I introduce you today's guest who asked to remain anonymous, I do want to remind you that... That. I have my stand up slash podcast show on October 24th at the Hollywood Improv at 7pm. The tickets are like $20. So you guys better go and you better purchase your tickets to my show. Half of the tickets are already sold out, you know, hurry and get the rest before it's completely sold out. If you don't buy a ticket and you live in LA, I will never forgive you and uh, you're going to be dead to me. And I promise you, as a Scorpio, I will hold a grudge for the rest of my life. Get those $20 and go buy a ticket for my stand-up slash podcast live advice show at the Hollywood Improv, October 24th. And I will do a meet and greet at the end of my show. You can buy your tickets at the description of this episode or in the bio of all my social media accounts. You will see it there. So get your fucking tickets, you cunt. Today, I want to welcome a very special guest to the show. Since she chose to remain anonymous, let's call her Jane Doe. Jane Doe is a former member of Children of God. That is the cult we'll be focusing on today. This cult is very unique because it is created currently still going on. Today, you know it as the Family International. But back then, it used to be called Children of God, and it began in 1968 in Huntington Beach, California, by David Burke, following claims that California would soon be hit by a major earthquake. So he asked all of his followers to leave all of their possessions behind to spread a message of salvation and spiritual revolution and happiness. So basically, he told his followers that... The end of the world is coming, and the only people who will survive are the children of God. Based on this name, you can kind of have an idea of the type of cult this was. Now, not only was it a sex cult, it involved children. It's pretty sick. The group has gone through many names and rebranding since, but the initial message of salvation and spirituality has become a far cry of what Children of God is known for. Today, my guest, quote unquote Jane Doe, is going to tell us all about her experience as a former member of Children of God and her life today as a free individual. Children of God is a cult that's known all over the world and one of the most dangerous ones. If you even look up the top cults, this will always come up as one of the top five. And today with David Berg being dead, the Family International is led by his ex-wife or his former wife, Karen Zerby, And you would not be able to find her since she is in hiding. It is a foul cult and it's so much all over the world and is so known that Today's guest is not even from the U.S., even though it started in California. Thank you so much for your time. I truly so appreciate you being here, and I'm so honored to have you here with me today. Welcome. Before we get into your personal experience and upbringing of being part of Children of God, I wanted to say first, welcome. Thank you for coming on.
2: Thank you so much. Thank you for having me.
0: Of course. For people who are not as familiar with Children of God or only know some things about it, but not everything, do you mind kind of just briefly saying, telling everyone what Children of God is? is or was on the surface level and how they portray themselves to the public?
2: Yeah, so basically, the Children of God uh, originated in the 1960s, kind of on the whole curve of the uh, rebellion, the the teenagers rebelling against their parents and all starting to sort of take drugs and experiment. And that was sort of in the the late 60s, 70s. What we believe is the leader took advantage of that time to uh, recruit young people who were really against the establishment and to then um, get them to join his movement, which is considered a new religious movement because it it's based on traditional Christianity, but it's kind of taken by him and twisted into a different way of sort of practicing Christianity.
0: Right. For him, the, the concept of being closer to God was through children.
2: It was like that in a way, yeah.
0: Right. I do recall, I think I read somewhere that it said how... Um, a lot of people found it to be a sexual cult, a sex cult, while other people believed that it was more a sense of control for him, the leader.
2: Yeah, that's right. So it, it the way I've always seen it is that it was definitely a combination of the two. He was ex- extremely obsessed with sex, and this was something that kind of bled into everything that he did. And he also had a very uh, bad problem with alcoholism, which was something that wasn't really known until kind of in later years so with that kind of lack of inhibition combined with his sexual deviant nature on top of the fact that he was an egomaniac and he wanted to have people underneath him who he could control their every movement their every thought the way they saw the world and basically strip them of identities to him that was his entire goal so he managed to do both of those things um, completely.
0: What do you believe one big misconception misconception is about children of God? Because people a lot of times confuse the sex with being just a method of control. What do you think other misconceptions people have had of this uh, cult?
2: I think the biggest misconception is that it's sort of similar to things they've seen in, in TV, perhaps, or in media. That it's all kind of um, rituals. That it's all abuse. That it's everything is kind of like these um, very salacious and kind of like controversial. It's more. It's more interesting maybe for it for people to to dwell on those sides of it. And while of course those things were really horrible, all of the abuse and the things that we went through. I feel like the biggest misconception is not understanding the consequences of having your your whole life and your whole almost psychology dominated by somebody else and how it can affect you in later years. I mean, I've been out for 16 years and sometimes it just still feels like yesterday, just simply because of what an immense effect it had on me as a person.
0: So then let's begin with the story, with your story, kind of from the beginning. What brought you into Children of God?
2: So basically my my parents were actually recruited into the cult. Um, In the early 70s, they were also joining kind of the hippie movement of the time that I mentioned earlier. So it was all about backpacking. It was all about kind of finding your way and figuring out who you are and what's the meaning of life. Um, At the time, you know, my parents were kind of runaways. They were had rebelled against their parents. They weren't doing well financially. They were kind of couch surfing. They were, they weren't in a good place. They were vulnerable, to put it that way. And the cult had this way of finding and seeing these people, and knowing that that they were the prime targets. That they would be the ones that would be susceptible to what they were offering. So that's how it began. My parents then um, joined that cult, and traveled over all over the world. You know. Practicing the the teachings that um, that the the cult request you know required basically because it was everything was a requirement there was no like saying no, um, and then uh, I was born in nineteen ninety, and I've got six brothers and sisters who are, um, all left the cult as well. I was the first one to leave, which I'm quite proud of because I'm one of the youngest. In two thousand and six would be when I left, so that was when I was sixteen. Um, so most of my experience was from a sort of child and sort of like preteen sort of experience, which is it can be different uh, to the way the different ages experience the cult, for sure. Yeah.
0: Did your parents ever leave or is more the children all left and the parents stayed? So it was a slow
2: filter towards the, the 90s, early 2000 particularly was really when Um, people started leaving in droves. This was kind of a a combination of two things, I think, which was the Prince, as he was known, the son of the leader had experienced abuse beyond almost any of us had ever experienced because he was right there in the middle of it. He was the son. So he had to experience things that are just almost unmentionable.
0: So the leader did it to his own child.
2: The leader himself didn't do it to him, but he did it to his sisters. The leader did sleep regularly with his sisters um, when they were as young as four years old.
0: It's sorry. It's so I have nieces. So to like, and my niece is four. So to even to, I think it's, it's so hard to process something like that. I don't think people even understand the concept of that. How can even anyone look at a child so sexually? And I think the scary part. With cults in general, is how they view children, because you everyone looks at children as some as something pure, and it's as if they want to take that purity away. It's scary. It's I I can't fathom.
2: It's incredibly um, shocking, in fact, that it was not only um, done, but done openly, and there was people who uh, allowed it to happen who weren't involved, and then there was the people who were, uh, as we could see as children, very excited at all the options you know, that they had. They could smack you whenever they wanted and they could just say it's because you looked like you had a bad attitude that day. And the same with the sexual abuse. That was also something that they came up with all kinds of ways to make it seem all right.
0: Yeah, because I read somewhere that it said that sex was encouraged. So if t- if adults were doing it and children walked by, it was more like, come, see what we're doing or join in or come watch us in order for it to just to normalize it with children. So then it feels normal.
2: Yeah. So unfortunately, that was something that happened a lot, particularly um, more in the early days. When I say the early days, I'm, I'm mainly referencing to like the 70s and 80s, because that's when the worst things happened. But it was definitely like that. They would, uh, the leader, David Berg, would encourage orgies. Um, regularly and, and just constantly encourage a very sexualized environment. He asked um, the mothers of the, some of these girls as young as five and some um, going up a bit older, they would have to m- uh, make videos for for the leader where they would um, strip slowly to s- sexual music. And there are some videos that are still exist that have been used against the cult in, you know, in court proceedings and that sort of thing. But that was one of the extents that he went, where it was very brazen, as you can see, extremely brazen.
0: Kind of walk me through the an average day for a member in the Children of God cult. Kind of how did children spend their day versus adults?
2: Well, I I always remember it feeling like, and they referred to it to this as well. It's almost kind of like an army boot camp, in in the sense that you were always on edge and you always had to be doing something and. The odds were that you were going to get yelled at or you were going to get punished. You could even behave perfectly and you would still get punishments for being too proud, for example. So they'd flip it over if you'd behave, which was weird. Um, But yeah, so a typical day would probably would usually involve we would have to get up really early. The first thing we would have to do is do about two hours um, of uh, what they called word time, which was just reading the materials from the cult. So, uh, or devotions was another word for it. And, um, and that's like first thing in the morning, um, two hours, you have to do that. Then we had to do our chores, which were called Jesus job time. We still laugh sometimes when when we remember that because the, all these terms, um, still make us laugh anyway, to this day. Sorry, I got off track there. Um, <laughs> it's okay. That's funny. but yeah so then we'd have to do our chores um then it was school time uh definitely not what you would consider regular school time in any way it was like it was like homeschooling but the 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 school itself was made by the cult it was an academy called a christian vocational i can't remember the last letter of it now sorry but it was made by us so everything we learned in our school had a religious slant on it so we didn't escape and you know it from anywhere. It was always co- it was coming at us from all avenues. Uh and then of course after we would do our schooling, which was th- usually they tried to imitate a typical sort of schooling day for children, mainly because neighbors used to actually report us for why why are all these children playing outside? Why aren't they in school? Naturally so. Why why weren't we? <laughs> so they would kind of try and make sure that we had the same hours so it looked normal. But um, it, was, it, it was kind of odd because our parents sometimes were the teachers. And then one day our older sisters would be the teachers and they're like 14, you know. So there was always an element of work. They were doing work to teach us. We, we had to always be doing something or learning or, or just proving ourselves constantly. Um, so I always remember being very stressed out and always, you know, even as very young and always trying to figure out how to avoid getting punished
0: punished what does that mean what what kind of punishments did you guys have
2: so um in the early days um before my time the punishments were extreme so they would involve things like washing children's mouth out with soap um silence restriction where you'd have a a a placard around your neck saying i'm on silence restriction don't talk to me some of the silence restrictions would last up to a month or, or a few months for some of the children so you can imagine like Thankfully that never happened to me or anyone I personally know, but uh, I know of it. Um, I think they started to tone down the punishments a little towards my time, towards the 90s, but it was it was still a lot of corporal punishment. So beatings, we got a lot of beatings and just random slaps out of nowhere, which was made you feel very on edge. To this day, I, I'm always very on edge if I can't see behind me, because there was always uh, a sense that someone would come out of nowhere. So you never felt like comfortable with that. There was uh, spankings with paddles. So they used to like drill holes in the paddles so that the, the paddle would swing faster. And then you'd get that on your um, on your bare bottom. And sometimes what they used to do, which was particularly cruel, cool, is they used to do that in front of a whole the whole entire community home. So the kid would not only get punished but be but publicly humiliated as well.
0: Do you think in a way that was also attached to sexual acts, the humiliation and the watching in front of everyone? Because that in a weird way feels like that too.
2: That's a really interesting question, actually, because I think the act of the fact that the child was bare bottomed and then, you know, getting spanked in itself in front of everybody, I definitely think that they got a thrill out of that, 100%.
0: So clearly, education and in, in you're in this cult and in most cults is never the primary thing. That's very obvious. But I did read somewhere that. Children of God referred to the outside world as, quote unquote, the system. Can you tell us some of the things they would teach you guys on the outside world, aka the system?
1: Yeah,
2: so the system was considered to be this dark pit where, like, Satan was the ruler and everybody who was not in the cult, the systemites, were all shallow, evil, bad people who would, uh, you know, it was was painted almost cartoonishly. And I think that maybe as we got older, we realized how ridiculous it sounded, but that's how it was painted. And also that if we tried to leave, we wouldn't be happy because everyone out in the world is, uh, has an emptiness inside and then they, they don't know Jesus, they don't know God and it's just a miserable, dark existence out there. The values that people have out in the system are all bad, all bad, and that we shouldn't have anything to do with them.
0: Wow. Did you uh, ever attend a primary physician? What were some of the things that were taught to you guys about the human body, especially the female body?
2: Well, as far as a primary physician, it wasn't something that was a regularly encouraged um, to do to go to visit uh, your doctor particularly in the in the early days because that when that meant that you weren't uh, believing in God that God would heal you and there was unfortunately instances where children actually died of things like Luke um, I can't remember what it was exactly but a very young child three years old died of some of, of very bad like very painful illness because they wouldn't take her to the hospital and she wasn't the only one. So that, that attitude, again, as I say, the old, early days and, you know, they calmed that down a little. But still, it wasn't something that was regularly done. You didn't get regular checkups. You didn't regularly go to the dentist. And then as far as you're asking about the female body, that all kind of came from the cult. I wouldn't say that there really was much education to, uh, towards a female body other than what it could do for men. So this part of your body makes men happy. That This part of your body <laughs> makes men happy. And this is how to understand how to learn to please yourself for men. So it all revolved around that. Yeah, they couldn't help them, you know, shove it in there wherever they could.
1: CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.
0: In order to spread the message of children of God, I read that there was something called quote-unquote flirty fishing. Can you tell us what that is and why this was deemed as
2: quote-unquote beneficial? What's flirty fishing? So flirty fishing was a practice that Berg came up with, which was basically religious prostitution. The um, All the females of the group were basically encouraged, but it wasn't encouraged. I say encouraged because that's how they worded it. That's how they made you feel like it wasn't an order or an instruction but they were sh- uh, strongly encouraged to go out at night, dress very provocatively, go out to bars, go out to clubs, and find men who were qu- wealthy, and then um, flirt with them, get them to have sex with them, and then also make a donation. So the, the whole thing was you had to come home with some money. It's like, it's fun, but fun doesn't pay the bills, is actually a direct quote from one of the Mo letters on this topic. Um, So my mother um, was also doing that as well as pretty much everybody did at that time. And it was a dark part of our history. (laughs) At what
0: age were you able to start going out there and flirty fishing? Did David decide that the children are just for him and the cult people while the older women are the ones that did the flirty fishing? Or was it ever just also young teenagers, young women going out there and doing that?
2: At the time, it was um to my to my knowledge it was mainly adult women but i believe there could have been instances i i can't say for certain i don't want to give any in- inaccurate information but i believe there was instances where uh younger teenagers would do it as well
0: right but you're not sure so if that's the case and it seems like he really viewed himself as a god him and his cult deserved the purity of the young ch- untouchable children only for them their own only their sack well, for the outside to get the money, it was the older women. They're already tainted and touched and had the babies. Everyone else can have them. He like, you know, that's for me, psychologically, that seems really interesting. I think that's how he viewed it.
2: That's a very interesting way to, to look at it, actually. And I think the fact that he almost he really denigrates these women by like he, he, he actually told them they needed to be God's whores, direct quote from the Mo letter and hookers for Jesus. So he's calling them hookers like they're like they're dirty, you know, go go and do the dirty work. So that's a really interesting way to look at it, actually, definitely.
0: I am very into psychology, and that's what it seems like to me. And you explaining that validates exactly my thought process. He obviously viewed himself as some type of god. So yeah, there for were sure. whores. I had to prostitute himself. He's not gonna touch the whores, they're dirty. They're for everyone else. But the pure children, that's for him. That's his reward for being such a god.
2: To a degree, he was still having sex with um pretty much any but a- any female. If there was a female in his radius, um, they would be having sex, yeah. But I can I can see what you mean with the psychology of that. So
0: the founder of Children of God, David Burke, once said that God created boys and girls able to have children by about age 12. He also said that God is love and love is sex, so there should be no limits regardless of relationship status or
2: age. I have thought about this a lot because I've always wondered why um, it was so important um, for David Burke to have sex to be such a massive part of, of, of his, uh, his teachings. And why it was, he was so absorbed in the idea of children being able to have sex. And there's been a lot of analysis over this. But I, uh, my analysis on it is that sex and control are so interlinked. The thrill that you get from sexually dominating somebody or sexually instructing thousands of people to do things. He knew that when he said, go and have orgies... That they would be having orgies. He would be sent videos. He would be sent pictures. He basically found a way to get nudes from thousands of people. He found a way to control them sexually. That's probably the best way that I can put it. Really, and then because they're so interlinked, sex and control. Also, I think it's the being off the grid and and deciding not to follow traditional laws. It always seems like sex is the first thing that they get. That they get real chill with and i think it's just cuz in normal society sex is something that we kind of repress and we don't it's it's like something that we 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 see as dirty but then it's also something everybody taboo. does taboo yeah taboo yeah exactly
0: yeah it is interesting uh now that i think about it, w- at one point when i interviewed somebody who who owned a bunch of sex clubs and he was so passionate about sex at that point. And he also said, sex is my religion. And I feel like mm. I never really understood that until right now during this interview. I think anything to the extreme end is too much. Like everything,
2: you know. Did you know David Burke personally? No, so I never um, met him. His location and even his face was actually kept secret for years. So when they would send out the the publications for us to read his face would actually be drawn on over with uh, as a cartoon lion we came to know him as kids as like the father lion the god lion or whatever but yeah so we never we we weren't allowed to know where he lived and we didn't know what he looked like
0: got it so they were teaching young kids and normalizing it by showing you cartoons and it was to Mm -hmm. learn who he was
2: understood
0: Mm -hmm. what was your earliest memory of sexual abuse
2: so my earliest memory was from when i was eight years old this one was kind of a an interesting one because it showed how the cult allowed things to happen because of their practices, because of the way that they needed to make money. money. Making money was the priority over the welfare of children. So in this case, it was somebody who was actually a friend of the cult and he was sort of a sponsor. That's kind of what they were, you see. So they would get to come into the home. And in a way, I don't want to say that, that it was a, an agreement, but... The fact that they're giving us, you know, money to help us live, and then they are, seem to have full access to us kids. Um, I just I don't know what happened there. Whether it was accidental or it was just total lack of uh, of looking after our welfare, but it it, it that was something that was um, a bit different in that sense. It wasn't a cult member, but the cults being so lax in my welfare and my safety allowed this person access, and as such, it happened.
0: Do you mind, if you're able to, obviously don't, if you can do you mind elaborating what do you mean giving access to the children? What does that mean? It's being around the kids or doing sexual acts or watching them do stuff. What do you mean by that?
2: Well, in, in that experience specifically, he was considered sort of a friend and he would come over and he would park his uh, camper van on the property. We used to go and play there because basically we weren't allowed to um, watch cartoons. We weren't allowed to view any media at all uh, unless it was the cult's publication. So to us, the most exciting thing in the world was eating a bar of chocolate and reading a cartoon, a systemite cartoon. That was the, the, the coolest thing you could do was find a way to get your hand on one of those and go home and show it off to everybody. You were the, you were the coolest for for months, um, and so he had he he would um, groom us really because he would go look what I bought you now and I got you this and we were like oh my god and it was a secret and he would keep it from my parents. I say give access, but but if you think about it, this man's like sixty five and we're up there for hours playing in his camper van, and nobody's coming to check on us. What what is that? I haven't I haven't actually gotten over that. That's like something that still really upsets me. Because it's very bizarre, it's a very bizarre thing to do because it it almost seemed like a mistake, like an oversight. I don't know. I haven't figured that one out, how they would, why they would allow something like that. I know that that's not something that anyone will ever admit to. It did feel like that, to be honest, I will say.
0: What is the term sexual sharing? Can you elaborate on what that means?
2: So that was all a part of Berg's um favorite thing which was highly sexualized community homes and sexual sharing was basically where you were strongly encouraged to swap wives swap husbands and um essentially sleep with everyone in your community home if you didn't do it you weren't being loving and you would be kind of ostracized um so basically it was very it, it, it was a coercion essentially because there was Penalties for not doing it, and if, for example, the shepherd—they were called shepherds by the way—the leaders of the community homes—if they said, "Oh, you know, um, I'm just inventing names, Maria. We want you to go and sleep with the, um, Gabriel because he's single and he's sad," and then they would use words like that. He's sad and he's single, and then by not using direct words like "go sleep with him" because we we get off on it, <laughs> it's more like "go sleep with him" because he's sad and single, and you need to give God's love to him. And they can't like, argue with that because that was our whole right. thing. So they had to do it.
0: Wow. So that means your parents were then participating in those acts and, and having to do that in order to be part of the community. Because obviously, cults usually bag on people. that feel lost. that don't know what's going on. They need something to follow. And you said they, they were couch surfing. So now they get to have a roof over their head. And... People who guide them, so of course they bought into it. I understand.
1: Mm-hmm. I
0: think. Uh, I think a lot of people can sit from the outside and say things like, "I can't believe a parents sort of would ever do this to their children," things like that. But I think a lot of us, and most of us, will never understand what it was like to actually be. In one of those cults, what it was like to be as a child in those cults, what it was like to be as an adult in those cults, and uh, the psychology and the twisting and manipulation, everyone likes to talk about their ex being a narcissist, being manipulative, like they don't even understand the reality of what real manipulation and real narcissism is, cult-like people are.
2: You put that so perfectly because that's my number one problem is that no matter how hard I try to portray or give an idea of what it was like it it does feel like no one will ever really understand because it's so weird and i think that's why it's not talked about a lot it's not a trend if you know what i mean you know you said about narcissists narcissism is a huge trend online people love to say everyone's a narcissist um but i feel like no matter how many interviews are we do no matter how many films are made it's like something that people go oh, I don't get it. I don't get it. You know, so I don't want to get into it kind of thing. That's how it feels. It feels like it's been.
0: Yeah, I understand. And you're not wrong. No one will understand your experience except other people that have experienced what you've experienced. That's that's the truth. And yeah, a lot of times on TV, it's more I would say it's more glamorized or it's to for shock value. So then when it's shock value, it's more like, why would anyone put their children through it? And why would anyone join? when the it's not, it's never actually the, the to empathize with people what they had to go through mentally in order to even be so vulnerable and so low
2: that's a good way to put it definitely
0: walk me through exactly when you decided to escape and exactly how you managed to escape the cult is it easy
2: to just leave or is a whole process kind of what happened it was i would say that it built over a few years and it was Particularly, I think once I turned about twelve and I started having a little bit more thoughts of my own, I wasn't as much of a child anymore. So from twelve to fifteen, um, it was a very gradual process of me deciding that I didn't, I didn't want to be around any of these people. I didn't want to be a part of any of this. I wanted to have a career. I wanted to develop my skills. I didn't want to be, you know, a breeder or an end time soldier, which was, of course, never going to happen. A what? An end time soldier, we were called. So the end time was the the way we referred to the apocalypse. And we were supposed to be the elite soldiers of the apocalypse. Yeah, it's like a bad B movie. (laughs) And who gets to be the soldiers? Is it only the kids or anyone can be that? Every member of the cult was an end time soldier. Okay, got it. I think that was that his way of making it seem like this epic battle, sort of like Lord of the Rings or something between good and evil, and we were the end-time soldiers. He took a lot of it from mythology and history and kind of made it seem really cool to be an end-time soldier. So we were pretty stoked about it back when we were younger.
0: So basically, everyone thought the apocalypse was coming?
2: Yeah, so the first time they said Jesus was going to come back and we were all going to float into the sky, it's called the rapture, and anyone who didn't have Jesus in their heart would then go to hell. So the first time they predicted it was 93. Obviously nothing happened, which was quite embarrassing for them. So they found a way to say, well, God saw you weren't ready. So we need more time to get you, (laughs) which they love to do. So now because of that embarrassment, they don't have a fixed date anymore for when the apocalypse is coming, but they just keep saying, guys, it's coming and keeping everyone on the edge of their toes, basically. Got it. So then from
0: 12 to 15, you said you started to have a mind of your own and you started to realize that something was off and you wanted to leave. But I read somewhere that when teenagers wanted to leave, they have to ask permission to leave and that children of God made a prison like camp all around the world where kids would be sent to if they wanted to leave. Did you experience this or did you know someone that experienced this or is that not a, a real thing?
2: So that was very much a real thing. Um, when it came to my time, thankfully leaving was more something that you just did. So you just went to the, to the home and you said, I want to leave. And what they would do is instead of trying to convince you to stay, they would just try and, and tell you how much your life is going to go in ruins as soon as you get out there. You're never going to make it. You have no, you're you going to be a prostitute. They tell the girls that all they would be able to do is be prostitutes. So there's no point trying to leave because you, you don't have any hope. So it was more about making you feel so uh, disempowered, if that's a word, that you had just had no courage or faith to even try and do it. Um, but thankfully, I, I had my mind completely made up. So all they did was just say, okay, good luck, you're going to need it, and a few other nasty things. From that process there, it was, uh, I had the support of my dad. You know, he said, if that's what you want to do, then that's fine. Um, but he had no way to help me, of course, but he just um, said that it was okay. And the hardest thing was just kind of uh, approaching the the complexity of the real world when you've not been in it for all of your life up until 16, So it wasn't the cold itself that spoke to me or did anything to me when I left. That was more something that happened to my older siblings' generation um, and older. But it was the adjusting that I would say was the the worst part.
0: Where did you go when you left the cold? Like, you're like, okay, I'm leaving, bye. And then you walk down the street. Like, where do you go?
2: So annoyingly, I wasn't able to do that right away. So what I had to do was just stay with my dad at the time. We weren't really practicing by that point. Like I said, gradually the cold was crumbling. Um, more and more people were leaving. So this is 2006. I could, I would say this is the time where you would see literal hundreds, sw- swathes of people leaving. So it was easier for me to leave because I had all these people older than me who'd already started forums, support forums for people who'd left, You know, people in their 40s and 50s you know, the most, the most courageous ones. Cause it was a lot harder than like, they're my, like, they're my idols. They, they did things that the hardest thing that could, you could possibly do. Um, so that was, um, basically the case if it was just that it was just getting out there and, and, uh, adjusting, but yeah, I did stay with my dad a little bit longer. And then I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do next. I tried to go to college. I was academically always quite bright. Um, so I thought I'd be fine, but it turned out, I didn't know how to interact with uh, teenagers my age, which was a brutal realization. That was where everything kind of went south for me from that point. And it was a rocky, it's been a rocky few years. I'm not going to lie, since 16.
0: Right, because children are not going to really be understanding, especially teenagers. No. (laughs) Do you remember what some um, everyday normal things that you had no idea existed when you left the cult and you tried to adjust. What are some things you were like, what is this?
2: It's funny because it wasn't so much um, things for me personally, but it was actually um, going to my friend's house and seeing the way their uh, parents were with them and the way that they all acted. It was like the kids weren't um, always being spoken to in a shit way or being treated like they were like little workers, like... The parents were coming over and saying, what would you like to eat? And they spoke to their parents in what I considered at the time. It was called disrespectful. Like just having your own opinion was disrespectful, right? So to me, if you have your own opinion, you're being confrontational. You know, that's how they span it. Don't be, don't be confrontational. Be easygoing, you know, go with the flow. Of course, that's how a cult is formed. Everyone's going with the flow. But when I would um see these people, and it was just the way they spoke to their parents, like, it was so shocking to me. And I'd be, like, looking at them like this, shocked, like, waiting for something. Like, maybe they're waiting to plan something for later. That's what it is. They're going to give them the punishment later. But, yeah, it took it took a, lot of, a long time to see, like, wow, like, people out there are actually pretty great, and they're nothing like what they were described. They're actually, a, you know, a lot better, and I'm really glad to be out here.
1: Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at bite.com. That's Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte.
0: No, I know exactly what you mean by that. I grew up very Russian, so for me it was also... I didn't need to be in a cult to to be uncomfortable by the parents and uh, in children's interactions, where they were hugging and touching each other, and I was like, "What the fuck is going on? What are you guys? What are you guys doing? That's so." I remember someone was like, "Do you not hug your dad?" And I was like, "What if he's like, ew? What are you doing?" And they're like, "What?" And I was like, "Yeah, that's so weird." So I, I completely understand that type of adjustment to be confused by that. So I guess my next question would be. Do you feel like being part of Children of God, obviously it's always going to be a part of you, but do you feel like it also in a way affected you and your mind, how you viewed sex in general? Because you said you, you you attached shame to it. So was it then hard to grow up to be an adult with sex in the picture?
2: Oh, yes, it did. One, uh, 100%. I do feel like females in, in the family, uh, in the Family International, were were easy by normal standards. I know that's not a good word to use. Maybe that's like sl- slut shaming or whatever, but it, it, it did feel. And it you're does in a cult. Feel.
0: I think <laughs> you're in a cult. I think you should feel free and open to say how you feel about being in a cult. No one else can relate to you. You probably didn't understand that you're able to say no. Probably took you years to understand that you're allowed to say no and that it's not being rude, especially when they were telling other women, go sleep with them because he's sad. And you had to to, to say yes, because that's your job. It it makes sense. And leaving the cult, you would probably allow people to walk all over you or you do sexual acts in order for, to show that you're a nice person. Like that's understandable.
2: I felt like I was socially inept and I was in the beginning, I was completely socially inept. So I would struggle to make friends. So one way that I would deal with that was to dress up and go out and meet guys um, because You know, sex was a currency in my life that I'd always known and I knew that it would work. And it was just a way, I think, also just to get some kind of attention and to get some kind of acceptance. Even if it's just in that time, it was it was my language that I knew. I like what you said about not feeling like you can say no, because I had a really strong sense of that for years Where like guys that I wasn't even into would make moves. And I found myself actually sleeping with a lot of guys That I look back on and I remember feeling very strongly that I did not want to, but I did not have the language to express that. So I I really like that point that you made there. It made sense to me massively.
0: Of course. I think a lot of times when people leave an abusive situation, then they attach shame to how they act afterwards because it's the thought of, well, I left, so I should know better. But the issue is that that's, that's what you've been taught. It's been ingrained in your brain. So you will then accidentally continue acting the same way you acted, whether it's in a cult or an abusive relationship or so on, and it's not your fault. And then we feel shame, but like, that's all you know. So it makes sense for you to leave a cult and to still have the same acts that you were taught in the cult. Just because you left, your mind didn't leave it yet. It's going to take you years for your mind to finally separate yourself from it.
2: Absolutely. Yeah, that's it.
0: It's sad that for a lot of these, there's not the right uh, counseling or therapy. People don't understand that they need a counseling or therapy or, and you have no one to relate to. So then you talk to someone else and they say, that's weird. Why are you still doing that? And right away, you're like, uh, oh, you're right. What
2: do they know? And I've even had that uh, judgment from people close to me because not everybody went that way. I think some people left and they decided to do a complete 180 because that was their way of leaving it behind. Thinking about it now, and the way you've kind of expressed that, I feel like I didn't do, do that 180. I was still living a little bit of that lifestyle um, where there's not not the right boundaries in place and definitely not a lot of self-respect or self-esteem was in my actions. Those two words could literally be the, the labels for my for my life up until very recently, actually.
0: Well, I think, I think labeling yourself and making yourself feel bad is digressing your progression. I mean, no one else can judge you because no one else is in your shoes and any type of trauma, people handle trauma differently. I think it's incorrect to think that there's a time limit on how long someone is able to heal from something. And I think it's incorrect to think that there's the right way to go about things to heal. Everyone has their own journey. This was your journey. You had to go through everything you've gone through in order to be where you are right now. Shame is basically just thinking what other people think. Who cares what other people
2: think? I know. I know. It's so silly because logically, I don't care what anyone thinks. Because logically, it, it doesn't really matter to me that much. It used to a lot, but not as much anymore. But yeah, it's funny. That, that little thing in my head there with that shame and still caring. And I'm still working on that. It, that's, that's, a, that's a tough one, definitely. It is
0: tough. Shame is a very difficult emotion, but that's okay. I think being self aware and working on it shows that you're way ahead than other people. I can never relate to your situation with someone who themselves grew up, let's say, with an emotionally unavailable uh parent, me going the other way and then shielding myself from emotions and love and so on me doing the complete opposite of what I saw other people do that didn't save me from anything that completely made me go even more backwards so again I don't think there's a right or wrong way to go about things yeah so you were more open and then someone else was completely closed off they're still hiding the emotions that they need to heal
2: yeah true
0: that is true have you gone to therapy since you've been out to kind of help you unpack everything
2: yeah so I've um I've tried therapy uh, quite a few times over the years. Um, Something I've come to realize that even though a lot of the themes I deal with are universal, like, you know, shame, of course, I have decided that I would rather deal with a cult specialist therapist rather than someone who has no um, qualifications in cults, because even though they can help us with those themes... It it's so important to also take into account everything that the cult did, and I I personally I I know some people who just could go with traditional therapists. They say it helps them, but for me, I'm now on the hunt for a good cult therapist, someone who understands everything and can actually help me. Because um, I've really I haven't really had any luck so far.
0: Yeah, I'm sure. I I can imagine that must be kind of hard to find a good cult specialist slash therapist how would you say being in children of god shaped your relationship with religion and spirituality today do you still believe in god how do you how do you view religion in general
2: i would say that i am pretty much an atheist but i am open to spirituality in a totally different sense so i i'm very against any idea of there being like a deity like a spiritual being who's in charge of all of us i reject any kind of traditional Christianity. I just reject any idea of there being a God. I much prefer um, learning more about spirituality uh, and and the universe and uh, tapping into your own inner spirituality. Which is something that can't be corrupted. I would say that's where I am on that one. Got it. Would you say your siblings have a different experience uh, with the cold than you do? Yes, definitely. I would definitely say that. So my uh, older older siblings, who are more in the the late 30s, 40s age range, um, they they experienced a lot of uh, what I mentioned happening in the earlier years which was a lot of, of sexual abuse. So it was constant. It was a lot of different people. It was regular. I don't know the exact details of their experience myself, um, but I do know from, from things that they have said to me that it was, extremely, it was extremely difficult and it was very different than my experience.
0: Got it. Do you have a good relationship with all your siblings?
2: Not really. So one of the things that that has happened to some families leaving the cult is that they either get way closer and support each other through it, or they turn on each other. And that's been something that's been discussed in our forums um, where we try and support each other with all of our journeys, um, that some families have turned against each other. Unfortunately, there are some members of my family that I don't uh, get along with and I don't really speak to, but I do have about half of my family I I still speak to. I have a good relationship with my dad. I don't see my mom very much because she lives in Denmark, but when we speak, it's, it's pleasant.
0: Is there any specific reason why families that leave cults either get really close or then turn on each other? What would be a reason for them to turn on each other? Is it because the different experiences and being bitter that maybe you didn't go through what I went through? That's
2: a really good point. So there is an element of that, of um, you have no idea how bad it was and you, it, you didn't see anything. And that I've always taken a lot of offense to that because I've had my own experience. Um, it, may, it may not have been yours, but it was still difficult in, in its own way. Um, so I think that's the main thing. And I think also, because in the cult, we were all sort of living in, in a way that, um, but like preparing for Jesus to return, there was no retirement plans. There was no financial stability. My dad never had a house for us. We were always living with other people. So when we left, we had nothing. My dad is in debt, and he um, is currently living with one my eldest sister, and there's no kind of financial security whatsoever. So what's happened is that it, it, can, it can make families resentful because if there's a lot of us, for example, and we're all struggling, that puts a massive strain on the older siblings who uh, get asked for help from the younger ones Or the parents have a massive strain. Or sometimes, in some cases, the parents are actually asking the children for money. So there's that um, resentment, too, where you've been in the coal. Your parents have brought you up in a coal that you didn't want to be in. You're out there trying to make a life for yourself. And now you have these two parents who have no retirement plan who are now asking you for money or, in some cases, living off of you.
0: Got it. But you say you have a good relationship with your father. That means you were able to forgive I mean, it's not my place to say forgiveness or any of these words, so just bear with me. But you were able to, quote unquote, forgive your father for the situation him and your mother put the children in.
2: Yes, no, absolutely. So we were lucky in the sense that like my dad is a very uh, sweet person. He's a very kind person. We could always tell that he was reluctantly administering punishments to us um, because he knew he had to. He was basically being told to. Um, But... He wasn't a scary person. Like I saw a lot of the other children's dads were very scary. Um, A lot of sociopaths found their way into the cold. It's, It's a breeding ground for people like that. You can imagine the freedom they have. So I've always felt we were very lucky with my dad. And even though it took me a while to forgive him, we eventually got there. And what really helped that was his willingness to see where he went wrong um and to have open conversations with us and we're we are very lucky for that we all love him very much and our mom too
0: that's beautiful that's amazing i think that takes uh, a lot of growth on your end to be able to forgive parents especially because when you as a child your parents are supposed to protect you and it's always really heartbreaking when you feel like they didn't and parents a lot of times just don't know any better because they don't get a guidebook of how to be a parent and they did what they thought was best at the time and I think it it must be so hard for a parent to admit that they're wrong and I think it's amazing that your father was able to give you that validation that you needed to hear and that you were able to forgive him and you guys are now able to have some type of relationship you know moving forward so I think that's great. You're very brave and strong for that.
2: Thank you. You're <laughs> Thank welcome. you.
0: What are your thoughts on the fact that although this cult, in a sense, ended, it didn't. Now it's rebranded as something called Family
2: International, and the new leader is somebody named Karen Zerby. I find it reprehensible, actually, because what they're doing is—I'm um, not sure if you've heard about this part of the cult—but they uh, did this practice and still practice this thing called tithing, which is where you give 10% of your income to the leaders. It is accepted and pretty much known, widely known, that there has been um, Lamborghinis that they have. There's been mansions. They have been living a great life off of all of our money. So they still encourage the very tiny little network left to still send 10% over. And then they have this whole masquerade of being this amazing nonprofit organization that just wants to help people and spread God's word. And it just looks like a pack of lies to me, basically.
0: Our children acts so do you think are involved in this newer type of cult? Or do you think that's a little different? Cause now it's a woman that's leading the cult, which is a little surprising to me. It's not a man, it's a woman and she's a head.
2: In fact, Zerbe is one of the worst uh, known for uh, standing by uh, and watching sexual abuse right in front of her, but not only that, but actually abusing her own son. The one I mentioned, Ricky Rodriguez, that's why he ended up having a mental breakdown. He wanted to kill his mother. This was in the news in 2005. He wanted to kill his, uh, to kill Karen Zerbe, um, but he ended up finding his nanny and killing her instead, and then he killed himself.
0: Wait, Karen Zerby was married to David.
2: Yes, I'm sorry if I didn't make that clear.
0: No, it's okay. Now, now I'm connecting the pieces. So David passed away while v I was chasing him, and then his wife Karen Zerby decided to continue the cult in his honor, quote unquote, or just to continue it, rebranding the name but continue it. And she abused the son while her husband David was abusing the daughter. Basically, yeah. Is she on the run? Do you know? Or is she just freely living her best life and taking 10% from people? She
2: is on the run, in fact. um, And uh, there is a a bit of a petition amongst us to get her tracked down.
0: Are you ever scared of running into other members or people that are still members of it. Like right now doing this interview, obviously you're so brave for doing this interview, do you get worried at all about what people may think or just in general of the people like Karen and the other powerful people in the organization?
2: It's funny that you asked that actually, because I normally I wouldn't be, but they are very rich. And I feel like if I really started to bring this petition, you know, the, the Facebook page, bringing Karen Zorby to justice that's been started by somebody in the cult, if I really started to push this forward and get try to get some action with it, I, I can't say for certainty that I wouldn't be in, in, in any danger. They have the money, you know, and if I'm threatening their lives or threatening their freedom... But that's just, that's just me thinking worst case scenario. I haven't had any issues with ex-members um, since I've left because we're all kind of on the same page. And we're actually very, there's a sense of bond and, and like, we all went through that together. So as soon as we see each other, even if we'd never met before, let's say if a, someone from the cult in Japan needed somewhere to stay here, you know, and they knew my siblings, they would... They would pop over and we would talk as if we'd known each other our whole lives. And there's a very um, close sense between all of us um, that we you know that we all came from the same thing. We all went through the same thing, and nobody really gets us like you said before. Nobody gets us like we do. That's like home, you know. That's like real, real home, essentially.
0: And you find that in in the different forums. There's like special forums for you guys, and that's how you're able to find each other from all over the world, right?
2: Yeah, that's, that's one thing that's super cool. So I follow some forums. There's one that's like purely for humor, where we just make fun of all the ridiculous stuff that, that happened in the cult. Uh, and there's a lot, they gave us a lot to work with. So it's funny, it's really funny. And then we've got another one that's serious. And that's where people, you know, talk about all these different things. And we've got some incredibly brave people in there who've already given interviews, um, who I really look up to, um, uh, who have been really really amazing and helping me with their wisdom and what they learned when they left you know they were the real pioneers because no one was helping them um so I'm really grateful that you know that we have this community and I know that if I needed to message somebody um there would be somebody there I could message someone anywhere anytime so that's 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 pretty cool really that's cool and finally what do you currently do for work um, I'm just starting a new job tomorrow, and it's uh, yes. it's customer service in a call center because I've been bouncing around jobs, and I haven't been sticking my foot in one thing because things have been absolutely crazy. Um, I'm sure. Mainly just with my mental health and kind of discovering myself from where I need to be. It feels like it's taking forever
0: oh don't be hard on yourself it's it's completely normal I mean who can tell you how long it's supposed to take you to completely get over a part that was so so major in your life you can't unlearn that so just be proud of yourself I mean that's so cool you're starting a new job tomorrow so new beginning
2: yeah things were a lot worse a few months ago um because I had a little bit of a mental breakdown I do have them pretty regularly um over the years I've had them just from, from complex PTSD and anxiety, depression, that sort of thing. Um, and unfortunately, alcohol plays a little bit of a part in my problem. So I developed a bit of a drinking problem to cope with, also to give me confidence to make friends when I first left. That's where it really started, to go to parties, to be able to talk at parties, essentially. And then and then it became a bit of a problem. Even just to have this crappy job in this call center is is good because things could be so much worse.
0: You know, when my father, when we won the green card lottery, my father moved to the to the U.S. on our behalf first before we moved with him. My father is a engineer with multiple degrees. He's a bioscience engineer right now. When he moved wow. here, and it's in his fifties, no one will give him a job because he was too old. And they asked him if he wants to get on food stamps or get uh, welfare. And my father said, "No, I will figure out to support my family." And my dad's first wow. job in the U.S. was digging graves with a bad back in his fifties with multiple degrees. He was digging graves in order for the family, me and my mom and my sister, to move with him to the U.S. to start a new life in the U.S. So I think uh, a job is a job and no one should ever feel too proud because all you can do is is when you don't try, then yeah, then you should feel bad about yourself in a sense. But if you're trying and you're getting a job, that's better than nothing. So I don't think you should put yourself down. Because a few months ago, you said yourself, you had a breakdown and you didn't have this job. So tomorrow you're starting a new job. That's a new beginning. Who knows what's going to happen from that?
2: That's true. Thank you. I appreciate that. I'm really hoping from going forward from this job uh, to get into the things that I actually really love, which is uh, singing, singing, writing, and well, creating content and actually being brave enough to actually put it out there, basically.
0: I think I think you got this. So is there anything that you feel like that anyone listening or, you know, the rest of us, is there anything we can do to support you and your mission to bring justice to what happened? Obviously, I'll put in my bio the um, a link to the
2: Facebook form. What is it called? Bringing Karen to Justice.
0: Yeah, so I'll put that in my bio. So if anyone wants to sign the petition, you're welcome to sign the petition. And then maybe we'll even put a link where if someone wanted to donate any money or help her out to pursue her dreams, you guys can do that as well. And I'll put that in my bio. Oh, wow. (laughs) Is there anything you wanted to add before we wrap this up?
2: Find Karen (laughs) Zerby. Find her. (laughs) Track her down. Bring her to justice. That's all. That's all I want
0: yeah you have to be a pretty sick person to continue doing this after doing that to your own children and doing that to other people's children and still collect money and take over like watching your husband do all that and instead of going against it you're like i'll be the leader now so i agree thank you so much for doing this interview thank you everyone out there for listening and i hope you all have a beautiful day bye guys bye